something that will lead us into a place of, of worship this morning. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah and to chapter 6? Isaiah chapter 6. We read from verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. These verses, like much prophetic revelation, is crammed full of imagery. They present to us an experience that Isaiah has had, a vision, if you like, of beholding the throne of heaven and the manifest presence of God who is seated upon the throne. And there is so much imagery presented to us within these sentences, these four verses that we've read together. And the key to understanding all that is presented, the key to unpacking this imagery, the key to exploring the meaning that is found within these verses... The key for it all is found in the song that the seraphim sing. That is the lens by which we have to view the whole passage and take it apart and build an understanding. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. These verses describe to us the holiness of God. They declare that God is holy. And to understand that fully, we've got to properly and biblically define holiness. See, we've come to understand the term holy in our church circles as meaning free from sin. And holiness, therefore, is a lifestyle that is free from sin. And there's a couple of things that we need to highlight about that. Very often we can hear in churches and some hardcore churches about how we need to be holy and we need to get all of the sin out and we need to be completely free from sin. And while that is a call that is attached to us, that is found within scripture, there is an important truth that we have to call out and that is this, it is impossible this side of eternity to be completely and utterly free from sin and the effects of the sinful nature. It's impossible. When we come and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he forgives us of our sins and he cleanses us of our unrighteousness and we die to self, that is, we die to the sinful nature that every single one of us has. It's an inherent part of who we are. It is in the most natural part of who we are. And we die to self and we come to life in Christ, but that death to self and living in Christ is an every single day decision something we have to do regularly, something we have to keep coming back to. It is only when we cross into eternity and we receive our resurrection bodies that we can know what it is to truly be like him, which is completely and utterly free from sin. It's impossible this side of eternity to be completely and utterly free 
from sin and the sinful nature and the effects of the sinful nature. And the other thing that we have to highlight off the back of that is that holiness isn't just about the absence of sin. Let me explain. Biblical definition of the word holy means to cut and to separate. Specifically, it means cut above. So by biblical terms then, something is deemed holy when it is cut off from and separate from common use or cut off from and separate from the norm. As you'd expect, the Bible uses the term holy a lot. The Bible speaks about holy ground in Exodus 3. Holy assemblies in Exodus 12. Holy Sabbaths in Exodus 16. A holy nation in Exodus 19. Holy garments in Exodus 28. A holy city in Nehemiah. Holy promises in Psalm 105. Holy men in 2 Peter and holy women in 1 Peter. Holy scriptures in 2 Timothy. Holy hands in 1 Timothy. A holy kiss. Interesting. And a holy faith. Bible describes a lot of things as holy and when the Bible refers to these people and these things as holy it's not suggesting that they are free from sin or in a state of sinless perfection rather what the Bible is suggesting is that such things have been separated from their common use or separated from the norm they've been separated and devoted to God and devoted for God and this is actually how God uses the term Quite helpful to look at how God uses the term, isn't it? In the book of Deuteronomy, he says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. What does that mean? Well, he tells us what it means. He says, this is what it means. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. So he speaks to the people of God and he says, you are holy. And here's what this means is that out of everybody in the face of the earth, you have been cut off from, you've been separated from everything else for a particular purpose. You are devoted to me. That's what makes you holy. He says in Leviticus, you shall be holy to me for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. He says, you are holy and here's what's made you holy. He doesn't say anything about them being in a state of sinless perfection. But rather what he's saying is you've been separated from, devoted to me out of everything else, out of all the other people, you are mine. You're devoted to me. First Peter, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who have called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have been chosen, we've been cut off from, we've been separated out from, we have been devoted for a particular purpose to declare his praises. That's what makes us holy. And in each of these texts, the term holy is used to describe that which is separate from and that which is devoted to God, that and those for whom the story has been rewritten with God's story and the story has been rewritten with purpose. However, the passage that we're looking at in Isaiah 6 isn't describing the holiness of people or the holiness of things. Rather, this passage is describing the holiness of God. The seraphim declare to us that God is holy. 
And that's when we have to begin to view things a little bit different. Because we've just said out of all the things we've been chatting about that, that holiness is, yes, it's about a state of freedom from sin. Of course it is. There's, that's part of it. But it's also about being cut apart from, separated from, devoted to. So when we begin to apply that to God, well, it begins to raise questions. From what can we say that God separates him from in order to become holy? He's God. The fact that he's God means that he's already distinct from all that is not God. There is already a clear distinction between the created and the creator. However, he is not a creator who keeps himself separate from his creation, thank God. He inhabits every atom of our existence. He's not a God that keeps himself aloof and, and distinct from us. He's a God that inserts himself into every aspect of our lives and of our world. He's a God that fills everything with himself. So how can we talk about him being holy in the sense of separate? Because he's not. Or, or, or to what has God devoted himself to in order to become holy? He is the ultimate reality. He is faithful to himself. It's not that he's now deciding to start adhering to some standards. He is the standard. It's not that he's now devoting himself to keeping a set of rules. He writes the rules. Who he is and what he is is not determined by anyone or anything out with or outside of himself. When he's asked in Exodus, what is your name? He says, here is my identity. I am who I am. In other words, God is not regulated by a higher being or a higher authority. He is the higher being and he is the highest authority. He does not aspire to be distinct, nor is he commanded to dis be distinct. He is already distinct. So in this case, actually, holiness, when it's attributed to God, speaks not of how he is cut off from or separate to, but rather it speaks about how he is a cut above. He is a cut above the rest, to coin the term. He is supreme. He is great. He's ultimate. He's superior. He is magnificent. He is incomparable. He is unique. He is one of a kind. And his holiness then is his uniqueness. It is his entirely divine essence that declares who he is and what he is. Who he is and what he does is not determined by anything or anyone. His holiness is what he is as God that no one and nothing else will ever be. It's what makes him unique. It's his majesty and his splendor. And it's important that we understand that the holiness of God is not just his sinless perfection, which he is. He is perfection personified, and that is incredible in itself. But the holiness of God is much, much more than just his sinless perfection. His holiness is all about God that our words are unable to convey and communicate. His holiness is everything that makes him a cut above the rest, the greatest. Exodus 15 asks an amazing question. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And the answer to the question of who is like you is nobody. No one, no being is equal to God in his holiness. He is completely and utterly unique. 
In fact, Psalm 111 in verse 9 says this, holy and awesome is his name. Now in biblical times, a name described the character of the person and the shape of the person and the purpose and the function of the person. And this is what the scripture tells us, his character and his definition is his holiness. It is everything that makes him God. And it's incredible when we arrive in Isaiah 6 to see that these angelic creatures are worshiping him by singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They don't sing mighty, mighty, mighty. They could, but they don't. They don't sing eternal, eternal, eternal. Or faithful, faithful, faithful. Or wise, wise, wise. There are so many attributes that could be called upon in that moment. Could be the object of worship or, or the, the, that which our focus and attention is drawn to, but they don't choose any of those other attributes. Their call and their cry, their note of worship is this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His holiness is the crown of all that he is. It is what makes him God. And as Isaiah gets this vision, this experience beholding the throne, what he hears is matched by what he sees. See, we arrive in this and we see this as the picture of the throne room and we focus on the train of the robe filling with glory or the hot coals coming and touching the lips and making everything pure. But actually what is presented in this picture is a declaration of the holiness of God and demonstrated, outlined, is a picture of that, is everything that makes him holy. And the first thing that we are confronted with in this passage is the life of God. God is alive. The passage opens with the phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. As Isaiah steers into this experience, he's obviously coming off the back of the narrative of, of King Uzziah, but it's important that we understand that he chooses to position this experience. The context that he gives us for this is, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Two kings are mentioned in the one sentence. One is mentioned by name and the other isn't mentioned by name. But we know that the other one is a king because he's seated on a throne. Only kings sit on thrones. So two kings are mentioned. One is dead, but the other is alive. And what the scriptures are pointing to here, presenting to us, is the life of God. God is alive. And the very fact that we fast forward from the middle of the Old Testament to the very end of the New Testament to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, and we find the exact same throne room scene described to us. The exact same. The king seated on the throne, the angelic creatures crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Isaiah sees the picture of the throne. He experiences the throne. He sees the angelic beings calling the holiness of God. Centuries later, John on the Isle of Patmos is caught up in the spirit and he sees the exact same scene untouched by time. The fact that the same king is seated on the same throne in the same condition centuries later points to the fact that not only is this king alive, but he's the king that never dies. And there is not a reigning monarch on a throne on the earth right now who will still be there in 50 to 100 years time. 
Every king, every queen, every emperor, every president, every prime minister, every monarch, and every ruling personality's power is going to end at the point of their death. But our king never dies, so his rule never ends. There is one seated on the throne right now who never dies. He is life itself. In fact, life emanates from him. Life has its origin in him. He is not mortal. He is immortal. Therefore, his rule and his reign will never come to a conclusion. He has been and he will always be. And in fact, this is the song that the cherubim sing around the throne in Revelation chapter 4. They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. There is not an epoch, there is not an era, there is not a time or a season or a period in history in which he has not been God and in which he has not been in control. And there will never be an epoch, there will never be an era, there will never be a time or a season or a period in which he will not be in control. He was in control, he is in control, and he will always be in control of all that is to come because he is alive. He is life itself. He is entirely unique in his absolute immortality and his everlasting reign. He is one of a kind. There is no one like him. No one can compare to his uninterrupted rule and reign. He alone is holy. And he's seated on his throne. This can't be lost on us. God is seated on his throne. We don't find him pounding the arm of his throne in anger and frustration. We don't see him pacing the floor of his throne room in anxiety and concern. He is not stamping his feet in temper. He's seated on his throne. He's at peace. In fact, Revelation 4 tells us that he is seated amidst a sea of glass. The sea surrounding him is still. It's not agitated by his movement. God is at peace because God is peace. He's not worried about what's going on in the world right now. He's not agitated about what it's going to mean for his kingdom if this happens or if that happens. He's seated on his throne in perfect peace. He's in a state of equilibrium because nothing, nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing catches him off guard and causes anxiety within him. Nothing derails him and nothing can ever dethrone him. Nothing can stop his plans and purposes. Nothing can hinder or halt what he starts. Nothing can outpower him or defy him so he sits in perfect peace. He rests upon his throne. He reclines in his throne. He is at peace because he is peace. Peace is found in him. He enforces peace. He rules in peace. He manifests peace. And amazingly, he invites us into his peace. He enfolds our lives in his peace. No other being exists in this way. He is entirely unique. He is holy. His holiness epitomizes, yes, his state of sinless perfection, but it also epitomizes his life and his incredible control, his serendipity, his peace. All of that 
is wrapped up in his holiness. God is peace, but God is also almighty. Isaiah describes God's throne as high and exalted. His throne is higher than any other throne. It's above everything else because he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. What he decrees happens. What he starts sees its completion. He has the name above every name. All power in heaven and on earth and under the earth is his. He's in charge. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess his lordship. He reigns over everything. Every power, every authority, every person, every circumstance, every principality, every force. And he holds us in the palm of his hand. Wow. He's over everything. He's above everything. And we are held by the one that is over everything. He holds us in his hand and he doesn't let us go. He enforces his protection over our lives. He commands angels to be our guard. He is supreme. His authority knows no boundary lines. There is no monarch or ruling power on the earth that doesn't have a boundary line at which their power and authority stops. God alone has no boundary lines. There is never a time, there is never a place, there is never a circumstance that is out with his jurisdiction. There is never a moment that he does not have the final word because he's almighty. He cannot be limited. He does not tire. He does not run out. There is nowhere that he is not. He is unique in his rule and his reign. He is incomparable in his power and his might. His authority is irresistible. And his power is unstoppable. No other being or person, no other ruler or king exercises such authority except him. He's unique. He's holy. His holiness epitomizes his sinless perfection, his life, his peace, but it also epitomizes his greatness, his authority, his power, his might. All of that is wrapped up in the holiness of God. Told by Isaiah that the train of his robe filled the temple. The seraphim announces to us that God fills the whole earth with his glory. It's almost as though the flowing of the robe filling the temple is described to us by the seraphim as an image of his glory filling the whole earth. God fills everywhere with himself. There is nowhere that we can go that is out with his presence. There is nowhere that we can go that he cannot go. He fills everything everywhere with himself. Psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness won't be dark to you. The night will shine like the day because darkness is as light to you. Psalmist describes it so wonderfully, but what he's saying is this, God fills every nook and cranny, every space, 
every circumstance, he fills it with himself. Specifically, he fills it with his glory. And if he fills everywhere with his glory, then that means he's at work in every situation, working it out for his glory. If he fills every space, every agenda, every circumstance with his glory, then child of God, right now, he's in your circumstance, working it out for his glory. And in the biblical times, the train of a king's robe denoted the size of his kingdom. A king would have a big robe, a big train on his robe that would be carried to denote that he had a really big kingdom. The wee train denoted that he had a tiny wee kingdom. God's robe filled the temple with glory, which was an image of him filling the whole earth with his glory, which means that God's kingdom fills the whole world. His kingdom is forcefully advancing. Right now, he is revealing his glory all over our world. He's revealing his goodness and his splendor in life after life and in circumstance after circumstance. No other being is all things at all times. No other ruler or force is in everything everywhere. No other person has such glory and splendor except him. He is utterly unique. He is holy. His holiness denotes his omnipresence, his everywhereness, his glory, his splendor, his ever-advancing kingdom. All of that is wrapped up in his holiness. It's more than just a state of sinless perfection, which would be incredible enough. It's his life. It's his peace. It's his power. It's his might. It's his authority. It's his everywhere at every timeness. It's everything that makes him God. And as we gaze upon the throne, as we gaze upon the throne room of God, his holiness is spelled out to us. We see every way in which God is gloriously unique, one of a kind, a cut above the rest, supreme, magnificent. And what draws our attention initially to that is the declaration of the seraphim, the creatures that day and night never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is enthroned in a declaration of holiness. That's important for us. And here in Isaiah and again in Revelation, we see this timeless picture of the throne room of heaven and the uniqueness of God. And God is enthroned in Isaiah and he's enthroned in Revelation as the King of kings and the Lord of lords amidst a declaration of holiness. In the book of Revelation, the cherubim never stops saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come over and over and over and over. I tell you, if we've got a problem with repetitive worship down here, we're going to have a problem when we get up there. Over and over and over and over the same phrase, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as they make their declaration, the scripture says that the sound of their declaration of worship, the elders around the throne fall on their faces and they cast their crowns before him and they worship him 
calling out his unique right to receive worship. You alone are worthy, they say. These creatures before the throne of God in heaven, they bring this declaration. They lead the worship of the heavenly realm with a declaration of worship. And all of heaven sings this hymn of holiness. These ancient words that have been sung before the beginning of time, that have been sung throughout the period of time, that have been sung for all eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The saints and the angels sing this timeless, endless song of declaration, this worship of the holiness of the unique, one-of-a-kind God. And that in itself would be a fantastic picture, but Psalm 19 tells us that creation joins them. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. According to the psalmist, the created realm around us declares the glory of God. The hills, the mountains, the trees, the landscapes, the vistas, they all point to the power of God, the wonder of God, the might of God, the wisdom of God. The created realm points to and calls out all that makes God a unique, one of a kind, cut above the rest, all-powerful God. In other words, creation declares the holiness of God. Here's the picture. Right now in the eternal realm, all of heaven declares the holiness of God. Right now, all across the created realm, creation calls out the holiness of God. Heaven and earth unite in the ancient hymn of holiness calling out, he's holy. Not as in just sinlessly perfect, but as in powerful, alive, Almighty, in control, in charge. He moves the seasons. He raises people up. He brings people down. He controls nature. Heaven's calling it out. Creation is calling it out. And it gets even better. We're invited to join in too. Psalm 96 says this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. Because great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods. Because all the gods of the nations are just idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. So ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. 
worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 96 calls us to sing out all that makes God God. It's incredible, isn't it? That in Isaiah and in Revelation, that which draws us to see the holiness of God is the worship that has taken place. And here we are called to draw the attention of the world to the holiness of God with our declaration. To ascribe to him worship that is due for his unique character and nature. We are to worship him in the splendor of his holiness. In other words, we have to let the holiness of God take our breath away. We have to be lost in the beauty and the splendor of all that makes him a one-of-a-kind God. And we have to worship him with that. We have to declare his holiness. We have been called out. We have been separated. We have been made holy for a purpose. To declare the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are to make his holiness known. Let me draw your attention to one specific verse in Psalm 96. If you're looking at it in your Bible you'll notice that it says, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. But there's a footnote there providing an alternative translation from the original language for that phrase. And the alternative translation is this, worship the Lord with the splendor of his holiness. We are invited to join the ancient hymn of holiness. You and I, those that are now and next, and not yet, are invited to join the ancient hymn of holiness, to worship him by joining the song that is being sung by the elders and the saints, the angels and the host of heaven, to join the song that has been declared by the created realm all round about us. We are invited to join in that timeless hymn of praise and adoration and declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And here's the picture for us. Right now, eternity is declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right now, the world round about us is declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we stand and we take our place and we raise our voices and we join and we declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in that moment, the conditions of heaven are united with the conditions right here, right now. And the King in all of His glory is manifest as the people of God join the song that has been sung throughout the centuries of history, throughout the eons of time, throughout all eternity, we come and we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. We call out, he's holy, he's holy. He's holy. We're 